I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now, here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it is show number 463 for March 5th, 2020. On today's show, we're talking about how woodworking has changed in the last decade, building a door, the future of furniture design, the handwork show, tabletop glue-ups, and installing the turbo vise. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com and check out their power-up sale, which includes power tools and all of the accessories you need for your shop. The sale runs through April 2nd, so don't miss out. Thanks, Rockler, for sponsoring the show. And if you'd like to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to be a patron of the show. This week, we'd like to thank John... Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Sodervist? I'm going with Sodervist. The one and only Mr. Miterful Pencil Kit Turbo Vice Andrew Klein. Nick Carruthers. Brody. Bricky? John? Just John? <laughs> Just John. Just John. Design SC, Haven Woodcrafts, Desco Pesk, Don Richardson, and Christian Sepp. Well, you guys got such weird names. What's the problem? <laughs> I like John. I that was good. That John want, was an easy one. If I go to Rockler to shop their power-up sale, I want to hear like Mario like sound effects. Every time I add something to cards, <laughs> yes. it'd be like power-up. Yeah. <laughs> Flower power. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I, now here's a little thing. Uh, we we did go to WorkbenchCon and I got to see Andy while I was there, which is funny because we kind of live in the same town almost, but we got to go to Atlanta to see each other. Um, <laughs> so I was wondering when I saw his name show up in the, the patrons I, and I asked him, I was like, do you feel a little bit uh, like you owed us something because we talked about the Turbo Vice so much? I'm like, Cause you out should. of nowhere. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were going to send you an invoice, but this will this will do. I so, sent yeah, him an it invoice. It's called the two vices I bought. <laughs> And right. the pencil kit I bought. Yeah, he's uh, he is on fire, man. Did you see that three Dow thing? Like, uh, yeah. kind of like a Domino competitor, um, yeah, or or really like the Triton Dowler competitor. Yeah, um, pretty wild, huh? I like it. Uh, I guess it's crazy how fast he prototyped that too. Because it doesn't I seem know. like like in his video he said, "Oh, I heard about the Woodtalk guys talking about the um, the Domino or whatever," and that that show right. only came out like two weeks ago as we're mm-hmm. recording this, maybe. Yeah, something yeah, like that. It's pretty wild. He works fast. Yeah, it's just hooked right. to a drill. I'm thinking that I could hook it to my egg beater and just be good to go, right? Oh, Shannon just disappeared for a second. You still there? <laughs> All right, so we had a little technical difficulty there, but let's get right into some news here. I unplugged. It was Shannon's fault. It's the hand tool guy's fault. fault. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what to do with these cables. <laughs> Too much power. Uh, yeah, so we went to WorkbenchCon. That's a thing that people go to. You and, guys went uh, to WorkbenchCon. I, I, I went to work. Just work. Yeah, <laughs> just work. And then back to your workbench. No con involved. No, no con at all. <laughs> so yeah, workbench con, that's a thing. And uh, if you're not familiar with this, uh, this little th- uh, conference, it, it's basically marketing, right? It's all about, 
marketing yourself, marketing your podcast or videos or whatever it is, uh, learning how to monetize all of that. And both uh, Matt and I went, we actually shared a room, which oh, was great. Yeah. I learned that Matt sleeps in pajamas. Just for you. And just for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that was just for me, but see, I didn't give you the same courtesy. I slept in my underwear like I always do. <laughs> I probably should have realized that. I'm like, I guess that's what we're doing. I'm doing it too. <laughs> all right. I'm all in. <laughs> you kidding me, man? Under those covers in that place with an extra layer of clothes on? Not happening. Can't do that. <laughs> same bed, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a, you know, as one queen size bed. No, it was two queens. Oh, uh, two queens. <laughs> two queens. Yeah, there was two bed. queens in there. The only joke Mark had the whole time. The whole time we were there. <laughs> so, would you like? Uh, or it's a. It's a. I, or never mind. It's not. It's not even going to be funny. It's like the tenth time now. So we'll move on from that. Anyway, WorkbenchCon was interesting. You know, this is. It's a conference that I've kind of resisted going to because usually I like to go to woodworking focused things. And this is so focused on the marketing side of things that I wasn't sure how much I would enjoy it. But the thing is, you know, there's a lot of people there that, that we know and it's nice. It's kind of like a little reunion, uh, seeing people you haven't seen in maybe a year. And, uh, there are definitely things that I came back with that, you know, were inspiration for how I can do things with my business. Nothing like groundbreaking, but, um, certainly ways that I could be more efficient, things like that. So I thought it was pretty cool. Um, honestly, the best part was hanging out with Matt for four days. <laughs> oh, oh, shucks. The Seriously, man, continues. it was, I know. Well, the thing is we just hang out, hung out like a couple months ago when he visited, but it was, uh, it was super fun. We went, we've got some like seafood. How about that seafood oh. place? Oh man. I was not expecting see, that. See the, the best funny thing I is the whole time I was there fr- from the outside perspective, I expected to see a lot of BFF type you know, Instagram stories from, from Ann in April, but you mm-hmm. guys had more than they did. So I think the <laughs> bromance is now stronger than the girl BFF thing that, you know, not quite right. as many filters, but well, <laughs> you had a few filters. So yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was a good time. I think, I think you guys are giving Ann and April a run for their money as far as woodworking online romance. Well, what's weird about these shows is like, for whatever reason, I, I like stop taking pictures of things. I stopped doing stories of things for whatever reason. Like, I don't even know why. I'm like, I just turn off that side of my brain. I'm like, I got to take up my phone all the time and store everything I'm doing. So I, I, I think what so you learned nothing about marketing, in other words, while you were at the marketing conference. I was so I was so focused that uh, I couldn't do anything else. You know? Yeah. I wonder if this is like that. a sign of the maturity of the show. You know, the fact that it's now it's three years old. The people who are talking and, and doing presentations, this is now something they've done probably a couple years already. So it's not as much of a, hey, look at what I'm doing. Look at where I am. It's like maybe they're not really thinking of it that way. This is just something, uh, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know. A networking I, I just lost my train of thought, but it's definitely a degree of networking. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I didn't see as many people pulling out the phones to do the thing they normally do with this show. That's yeah. pretty so cool. I don't know. That's actually, I, I like that, you know, because that was one of the things that was starting to wear a little thin at like Woodworking in America. Um, and I was it's just a social show. Yeah. And it was refreshing at Fide Woodworking Live because it really was in that case, that type of show was back to the woodworking. And there was a lot less of the the social media got to capture everything and broadcast it to the world. It was more yeah. let's learn. Um, so that that's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a sign that that's, you know, it, it is maturing in that way that we are now talking more on a professional level. There's people who are taking their sessions a lot more seriously and, you know, there's just a ton of people at this thing. So, um, I think, so I, I think like ahead. as a side kind of thought of mine, as I'm sitting here thinking about this, it yeah. could be just because like normally when I'm at home, I'm like alone, like in doing a story is my way of like communicating with people. <laughs> Not being lonely. But when I'm at WordPress con, I'm literally talking to people all day. Yeah. So I don't and really need, I don't feel the need to reach out as much maybe if you want to well, get plus, deep with it. When you do a story in front of a bunch of other people, you just kind of look like a douche canoe. I mean, <laughs> douche canoe. I would do it. I would still do it. I have no problem doing it. I do it, I do it in front of people now. People I don't know, at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, if you're a woodworker and you're listening to this, <clears throat> excuse me, you didn't miss anything. Um, it was just, <laughs> it was focused on marketing unless you wanted to go for social reasons to meet some people or to learn, you know, monetization strategies and things like that. You didn't miss out. But it's pretty uh, much it's focused not- on marketing as like an individual brand, small influencer type business, right? 100%. Okay. I mean, there were some things on like furniture businesses, if you want to call it like woodworking businesses, right? that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's all about 
content, online yeah, content. Yeah, because I, I seriously thought this year about going <clears throat> as the director of marketing for a lumber company. It's like, hey, sure. I know something about marketing, um, but it just it's just not my demographic. Well, it's my demographic, but as far as, you know, my day job, I just couldn't justify it. <clears throat> and frankly, I didn't want to go unless somebody was going to pay me to go. So it's kind of like if I can get the lumber company to foot the bill, but it just, yeah, that just wouldn't have been the right fit. I think. Sure. Uh, I do want to mention that we ran into other podcasters who do woodworking podcasts. So the, the guys at, we built a thing. I've actually been listening to them quite a bit lately. And it was funny because I, um, I, I met all three of them there and I was like, Oh, so how's the, the house purchase going? Oh, well, how did you work out the radon situation? <laughs> you know, like these details that are on their podcast. And I don't know if they expected me to know that much about their show at this point, <laughs> uh, but three really nice guys. Uh, just want to give them a quick shout out, Mark, Drew and Bruce. And they are at uh, we built a thing So if you want to check out another woodworking podcast trio, um, go check them out. We built a thing. It's uh, I, I'm enjoying it so far. You know what's funny about them was I, I was the only work that I did was at Workbench Con was I did a meetup at uh, a Rockler store, which was amazing. By the way, a lot of amazing people stopped by, including the folks from uh, that podcast. Ooh. They came all the way. They, they skipped the welcome thing at Workbench Con and came all the way to Rockler. Yeah, and I stayed at the welcome thing and regretted it. Because you're a dumb dumb. And I should have gone to Rockler. <laughs> should I come and hang out with me? That we had yeah. cupcakes. Oh. Yeah, the the, the venue was really <laughs> wide open. It was loud, very echoey. And there's a guy playing the guitar and he's on a very loud PA system. And I'm just like, this is a nightmare. I'm gonna go watch Star Trek in a hotel room. <laughs> Which is exactly what it did. Mac got back and it was late. And we tried to find somewhere to eat because everything's closed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, good times. All right, let's move on to our main topic today. We're going to talk about how woodworking has changed in the past 10 years. Since it was this invented, was just something, Yes, it was invented in 2006, so that's maybe four, 14 years, is it? Wow. I think so. Um, so I was sitting down just kind of brainstorming things, ideas, and I, I suddenly came up with this idea that I'm like, this only works in audio. This is not something that would be a good video topic or maybe a, like a blog post or something. Um, so I thought we would talk about this here on the show. It's funny you say that. That's and one a lot of the things of these, that's changed in 10 years. Blogs. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, so of course, uh, I have a lot more gray hair. Did, who, who put that in there? Did I put that in there? No. Who jerk put that in there? I didn't. I, I wish did. I did. It was me. Okay, I'm going to take these two goofy ones out of here. Those are stupid. Okay. So, I love so here we go. Only All right. Two of them are goofy and stupid. But no, I'd say 50% of them are really dumb. Uh, but anyways. So you may remember probably a good 10 years ago, maybe a little bit less, there was a thing called video podcast, right? There was this uh, podcast was not just this universal uh, word for audio. It also meant video. So video was a big part of iTunes at the time, and you can get your audio podcast there. But the Wood Whisperer, even in the first few shows, I referred to it as the Wood Whisperer video podcast because that was that was the terminology used to reference online video that was accessible through RSS And then, you know, something you could put down, you know, download onto any video mobile device that you have, right? A video iPod or whatever else was out at the time. Watching that little tiny screen on my 80 gig iPod. It was great. Yeah, baby. That's how it was done. Um, So now podcasts, if you say a podcast, it's just assumed that you're only talking about audio and iTunes is all but dead for like podcast video. I mean, I know you could still get it there. I know we have some, I see the numbers. We have some downloads via iTunes for the wood whisperer, but compared to being like the place, um, YouTube has essentially killed iTunes in terms of podcasting video. Yeah. Uh, let's just alternate with these. I mean, I wrote most of these, but if it's, <laughs> I'll explain it if it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, but who's next? Me? All right, you go, you go, Matt. Uh, where were we here? Uh, a conference like Workbench, wow, blah, blah. a conference like WorkbenchCon exists and is thriving. And I think we just kind of talked about the whole WorkbenchCon thing, so we don't need to go into detail. But I think that is an interesting thing. I can say maybe 10, 12 years ago, Nicole and I used to do shows 
um, and conferences just like WorkbenchCon, but they were smaller and they were for, for all of podcasting. They were new media conferences and podcast right. expos. And pod we used to do camps. talks there <laughs> and podcasts. Exactly. Oh, man. Uh, so it was exactly that same thing, but it was across all areas, all disciplines, video games, you know, tech, whatever you were into, it was general and everyone would show up and it was still, the shows were still smaller than WorkbenchCon was. And WorkbenchCon is deep in the niche of, of making woodworking, things like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's crazy that a whole show can be sustained by that small niche. Yeah, that's nuts. Well, CNC is now accessible and in use by regular Joe hobbyists. And yeah, 3D mark. printers for that matter and laser etching <laughs> and Shut all it. that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of these tools are, are have come down in price. I remember wait, wait, when X Mark, was are, you a, are you a maker now? No. Oh my gosh, you're a maker now. You have a CNC. Stop it, you. Oh, enough, I never enough. thought I'd see this day. Mark the maker. <laughs> oh, wait, there's a new there's a new show idea. Mark the maker. That's my that's my new uh, it's like Bob my new Instagram account. Yeah. It's rated G show. It's on Nick it's on Nickelodeon. Oh, when geez. when are we going to see like the shopsmith of CNC? Like when are you going to have <laughs> one tool that's a CNC 3D printer, you know, laser etching all those fun tools. When are they, when are you they have just going to ask have people one? who know more about that? Yeah. I just feel like that. I don't know. Maybe that's silly. That'll be the next step, but you know, and then we'll be answering questions. It'll, we'll move on from the hybrid jointer planer to the hybrid CNC <laughs> robot tool. Mm, that'll be good. Uh, okay. More tools are acceptable. You're gonna have to explain this one, Shannon. More <laughs> tools are acceptable, yet also not. <laughs> I know you put that one there. So. I, I remember, uh, I mean, it was 10 years ago. You know, you used to get hassled. Uh, you'd put a, a video online or you'd put a blog post up and you almost felt like, you know, I can't show my tool cabinet because people are going to harass me because of how many tools I have. Like that yeah. was, you should be ashamed of yourself for having so many tools. Now I feel like, I have far less tools than the average person who, who like sees my content. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was saying before the show, most of the hand tool school members have like three and four times more saws than I do. Um, <laughs> and, and people, and, and this is, I think, especially rampant in the hand tool world because people keep buying vintage tools because they're super cheap and restoring them. And it's like, now they've got six jack planes and seven crosscut saws. And it's like, dude, why do you need more than one? Like, okay, maybe two, if you're lazy and like want to have a different blade set up in one and in the other, but, but so there's that going on, but there's still this little undercurrent of people who like to complain about someone has too many tools, even though like oh, yeah. they're standing in front of 17 jack planes. So yeah, that never goes away. It's, it's a little hypocritical. Like it's, it's almost like a knee jerk reaction. You know, the knee jerk reaction of, well, I could do that too. If I had those tools, it's like, well, you do <laughs> look behind you. you know? And as yeah. people have gotten 10 years older, <laughs> see, cause what I used to say 10 years ago is yes, you know, I've got a bunch of tools back here, but recognize I didn't buy them all last week. I've been buying them over the course of five, six, seven years. Now everyone's 10 years older and they've been buying tools over the last 10 years. So now everybody's got a lot of tools, but still kind of sort of embarrassed to admit it. We all hate each That's other. Okay. We all self-loathe each other. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. I think you're up, Matt. Big shops are A-OK. -okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who talks like that? I do. I, I typed it. So that's clearly how I talk. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting one, too, because I, I feel like even just a few years ago, like if someone had like a really big shop, like even like Mark, your shop, that was really big, which on the scale of what people's shops are like now, it's probably like normal or even small. Yeah. Your old one. Right. Yeah. You're back to being but, a garage woodworker. You scum like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's taken an interesting like turn because now people are like encouraging other people to get bigger shops and that's like totally fine. Like my most frequently commented thing now is how small my shop is, which I would never have gotten that even like four years ago, three yeah. years ago. Yeah. Now once again, I, I go out, I do something first and then I get hammered <laughs> and then everybody else is just, just fine. It's okay. Right. Uh, Johnny, you want to, you want a giant shop, April? You want like three shops? That's fine. That's fine. It's all fine. But you want to have to have a well, golf cart to get from one side of the shop to another? <laughs> yeah. Well, they worked hard for their shops. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I did have someone oh. call me a trust fund baby. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah. Um, oh, I like this next one. Quote, how dare you use the domino became, why don't you just use the domino? <laughs> I guess we talked about that a couple of shows ago, but it still yeah, cracks me up. That's a good one. Now it's going to be um, how, why, you know, why would you use the domino when you've got the Andy Klein, you know, Trident special? <laughs> that's right. You should be using that. Uh, I like this one. Epoxy went from being an adhesive to a building material. <laughs> Matt. I like that stuff. Yeah, I know you do. I don't think that needs much explanation. Why joint it when you can pour it? That's right. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's just easier. I mean, you pour concrete. I mean, you might as well just pour epoxy. Yeah. I guess I'll do the next one then, huh? Yeah, that's your name next to it. It hasn't updated yet. My name's not there. But anyway, slabs became overvalued. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also really interesting because even when I started selling lumber... Out of my little shed here, like six years ago, I couldn't sell a slab to save my life. No one wanted them. Mm-hmm. Like I remember selling twelve quarter cherry slabs for two seventy five a board foot, and that was <laughs> and people were still trying to talk me down from that. But now, I don't know what you would sell twelve quarter cherry for, but probably more than under three dollars a board foot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say so. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction here. Th- this will be the lumber industry update for the episode. That's gonna stop like in the next six months. Like slab, the slab market's going to absolutely tank. So I should liquidate. Well, let me just put it this way. It's already tanking (laughs) Like from the commercial sector. It got big in the commercial sector. Now nobody cares. It's all, it's all gone. So you're going to see people start dumping them left and right. So buy slabs because they're going to go (laughs) down. That's good. I'll take them. If you don't want them, I'll take them all. It's like stocks. There you go. Um, Finishing got easier. I suppose. Maybe it's just not as much of a mystery anymore. Well, what I mean by this is uh, Rubio, Osmo. Oh, Oh, okay. (laughs) Right. In the past, you know, talking, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we would be, think about the magazine articles uh, talking about how to apply a poly finish properly, how to apply wiping varnish. That was actually the easy thing at the time was the wiping varnish uh, methods, how to spray HVLP, lacquers, conversion varnish. Um, well, once the slab thing became an issue and people were doing larger tabletops, it became a lot more attractive to use these floor finishes that just kind of buff in, buff out, and you're done. So your Rubio Monocoats, your Osmo, uh, Odie's Oil, and you know a bunch of the, uh, these even new finishes, like the Simple Finish that uh, those guys, you know those guys? Those guys. Those modern, guys are making. Modern Maker. Thing. Yeah, the Modern Maker guys, um, which we also met while we were at WorkbenchCon, which was pretty cool. Man, um, you, just, you just get around. You saw everybody. No, do you know this maybe is related, but do you feel like the whole homemade finish has kind of died off a little too? I remember 10 yes. years ago, everybody was mixing their own concoctions, you know, it was yeah. a little bit of BLO yeah. and then, you know, grandpa's spit and, you know, a little I, bit of moonshine. I feel, I feel like it was like, let's, let's see how complicated we can make this. <laughs> yeah. This w- was kind of the old theme where like, I do this first and then I do this thing, different products every time. And then this, yeah. and then a little bit of this on top. And then maybe a little bit of this later on. And like, that's like four or five different products. Like wh- why? <laughs> yeah. I, I, the way I mixed finishes was open the can and stir it. And <laughs> that was my mix. <laughs> well, even, even the one, like the go-to finish for a lot of people was like a Maloof finish, which is two types of oil because you know, <laughs> More, you know, one isn't good enough. Two is better than uh, one. <laughs> two types of oil, uh, polyurethane and mineral spirits. I mean, it's a four part mix, but still that's, that's a lot of mixing. So yeah, I mean, it, it really has been simplified. And I think that simple finish has become more acceptable as people want maybe a, a healthier finish or more natural finish. Um, it's kind of the convergence of, of those needs and wants mm, yeah, with these new point. finishes becoming more popular. Yeah. That, well, just the low VOC regulation is almost mandating it. So we had to, yeah. the companies had to come up with a better solution that, you know, got rid of all the nasty stuff that used to be in there before. Right. Hmm. Okay. So another one is influencer marketing has taken hold <laughs> just within our community. Individuals, um, have become their own, marketing tools. I don't know how, how to describe <laughs> that. You sound very sure of yourself. Right a bunch of marketing tools. <laughs> Actually, that whole conference was a bunch of marketing tools. Um, oh, 
didn't do well it, it's yeah, actually I, because 10 years ago maybe not 10 years ago but it was like we used to joke about christopher shores being the oprah of woodworking mm-hmm. um you know he was the guy um yeah and now there are 300 the guys and girls uh, yeah i think that's a that's a small number i think there's more than that at this point it's <laughs> yeah, crazy right. i mean even look at the at workbench con i thought it was a little not funny, just a little bit like uh, odd when I saw on the schedule some uh, talk about micro influencers, right? Oh, I and saw that, that on the, the schedule. I, I actually wanted, to and go I was to like, that. "Aren't those just? Aren't those just people? <laughs> like, you know, like isn't there a point? <laughs> they're, they're little people." <laughs> but okay, so I, so I'm on board with micro influencers. Okay, maybe we're talking, I don't know, fifty thousand or less, whatever the the designation is. But then I heard another term called nano. Influencers. Oh, good lord and that, like now aren't we now can we please say that's just everyone <laughs> you know what i mean like everyone who's got an instagram account can be a nano influencer um but either way the fact that we're having i'm joking around by the way if you're a nano influencer <laughs> keep keep up the good work um but i i think it's amazing that this whole concept of influencer marketing is intermixing and weaving in with actual you know, people who are just trying to build things and do things. It's like, sometimes you don't know where the marketing ends, or I should say the, the, the building things ends and the marketing begins. It's such a weird combination of things that's happening out there. Hmm. Agree. I agree. All right. You're up next. You good. Yeah. You, you were good on the marketing thing. Yeah, I think so. The end. All right. <clears throat> I don't know if I should say this. <laughs> oh, the, the, use the question marks, please. Mm. Uh, woodworking magazines are completely irrelevant. How was that? Uh, it hurts me to even hear it. It hurts me to write it. <laughs> right. I mean, I love magazines. I love the people who publish them and I, uh, the people who work hard to become, you know, quality journalists and, and writers on this topic. And I can't imagine it's an easy life for them right now because I don't think anyone really, I mean, do you hear anyone talking about, magazines or an article they read in such as such and such magazine it's just not part of the discussion anymore yeah no but i also don't read them anymore well exactly <laughs> that, well, it's, it's interesting saying. because i still have like a membership to find woodworking so you can like search the whole archive online and i do find myself using that as a resource but i wonder am i in the minority there like do people still use findwoodworking.com as a because there's a lot of stuff. I mean, the magazine's been around as long as I've been alive, I think, like 75, I think, or 76 is when it started. So I think it depends on what kind of realm of woodworking people are in. Yeah, could be. But the magazine itself, I can't remember the last time I actually read it in print form or digital form, but I've used the website, which technically is the magazine, right? You know, like I get, yeah. I found an yeah, article right. and I can download the PDF of that just article, but yeah, I usually like I I get the print version of it here at the house and like I like leaf through it. I look at the gallery, the uh, the viewer gallery, whatever it is. See who's in there. And <laughs> the then, viewer gallery. Whatever it's called. Gallery. Gallery. The, 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 the thing that Mark slipper. will never get in. You know that yeah. thing. Oh. The one they, they they don't like me in there. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, it's like I get through it in like five minutes. Less than that, maybe. Well, but, like, and, but the thing is, I think the magazine, like if let's just talk about fine woodworking, I think it's still a great magazine. You know, if, if oh, yeah. sitting down and reading a magazine was something that I wanted to do, that yeah. would be a great one to sit down and read. It's just, I think the world has moved past that media format. And I mean, that's, that's nothing new. Everyone knows that print just in general has to find ways to reinvent itself and, and to become uh, relevant again. It's just the challenge they face. Well, look um, at the, the contrast to that would be Mortis and Tenon magazine, which is almost scholarly journal. Um, yeah. now, I mean, it, it reminds me of the Sapfum journal, the society of American period furniture makers. They put out an annual journal and to me, it read just like any scientific journal that I used to get in college. Um, mm-hmm. and Mortis and Tenon is kind of going that way as well. And of course they're going with a very, you know, bespoke, where you open the magazine and out falls shavings and it's wax sealed envelope. And, you know, it's very right. quaint and wonderful and very well produced. And, and, you know, Joshua and company up there are very staunchly going that direction. They have no intention of ever going digital and they're, you know, they're producing, um, they're, they're making it work on a nano influencing level. <laughs> I think that's part of the reinvention that I'm talking about though. Yeah. You know, to, to become this thing that's very special and that is not cranked out 
on a monthly basis, you know, with everything planned, you know, a year ahead of time, um, the, the quality that they put into that thing, it becomes something you, you really look forward to getting. Um, it's yep. an event, you know, not just a magazine. It's interesting that you mentioned it, Shannon, because the, the Saffam ones are like the ones that I actually look at the most. I oh, think yeah. it's because I don't see a whole lot of like period writing or information on a, like a daily basis. Right. And I, I even read their, um, they do a quarterly digital one too. Right. Yeah. I read that one too. <laughs> well, and I think that may be part of it is the frequency is low enough that, you know, there's not, you're not inundated and because the magazine will find we're working is not 12 issues a year, right? <laughs> I'm looking at another Kumiko project. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm hey, sorry. I love you. I love you guys. <laughs> sure. But you know, yeah, I, I, you, I don't know what their frequency is, honestly. But I mean, when you get something once a year or, you know, four times a year or three times a year, um, you do actually sit down and read it. So maybe, yeah. see, that's what I'm trying to do with YouTube. I put out one video every year. Um, <laughs> I just feel that way people will actually watch it. But you're still ir- irrelevant. What's is that what yes, you're saying? Yes, yes. I'm a nano influencer, Mark. I'm just a normal Just person. like magazines. <laughs> I'm not completely irrelevant, just mostly irrelevant. <laughs> anyway. Okay. You got um, thousands of hand school members. It's fine. I do. I do. Thousands of people love me. Well, maybe. Um, speaking of events <laughs> and completely irrelevant, woodworkers became makers. I don't know how that's completely yep, irrelevant. When is, well, is that I'm like a switch? Do you, do you flip the switch? <laughs> do you feel different? You know, now that you're a maker and not a woodworker, because I think I'm still a woodworker. I think maker is just a little bit more of a generic term. And I think woodworkers fit within the maker umbrella. And I think a lot of people have just changed to that name. I think maker had a little bit more of a cachet to it and there are bigger events around you know maker things and maker events and i think it's just the more popular term so that even if you're just a woodworker who maybe occasionally dabbles in i don't know cnc or metalwork or something like that you could just call yourself a maker and you're lumped into a larger community of people possibly i don't know well i am labels i I was I was jointing a board earlier tonight, and then I went and made pancakes. So does that make me a maker? <laughs> yeah, sure. I call you a maker. All right, definitely call you a maker. Cool. I made bacon too. <laughs> uh, okay, this is a relating to the whole influencer thing. I feel like a lot of people these day these days are, are pressured to monetize their hobby. Oh, so into that. You know, so like you you find out. You like woodworking, you get into it, you build something. Friends and neighbors now know that you build something. And there's a little bit of a pressure to either sell the furniture on your Etsy store or, you know, wherever you're going to do that online or to, you know, make videos. You should make videos and put those on YouTube. Like you can't just enjoy the hobby for, and I'm sure this is across all (laughs) hobbies that people are experiencing this, where there's just this pressure to make it a money making venture, which for a lot of people would ruin it. Yeah. And I, and I think the disappearance of a lot of people, if you look at the, to use a, a modern term, if you look at the influencer space 10 years ago, very few of those people are still in it. You know, yeah. I can remember video podcasts that I used to, well, I mean, former co-host of this show, Matt Vanderlist yeah. is not there anymore. The original Podfather is, the OG. is, is, is not there, you know, um, mm-hmm. lots and lots of people putting out blogs, um, uh, stream people streaming live from their shops oh, yeah. all the time, you know, oh, yeah. oh. and eventually it just got to be the point where like many people were like, look, I got a job. Like I'm a software architect somewhere <laughs> or, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't want to do this. This is for fun. And they just disappeared. Carrie Holtman comes to mind immediately. You know, oh, what Rob. a fantastic woodworker an incredible resource and you know buttery tones on the wood talk podcast um, oh, i used she, to love it when she would she's, do segments she's making miniatures and dioramas now you know? yeah she did leather work for a while too yeah she's a maker she is a maker. <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh where are we here no it's matt Matt's. that's why there's an awkward pause it's matt's turn yeah, that's, I, know, that's, I never know when you guys are done talking about stuff when you know, when there's no noise you're lamenting because you know you remember all these things because you're older than me I want to warn you, we have to move fast because there's more to get to and we have more show to do. Okay. So let's uh, move quickly. The YouTube channel slash Instagram has become a new business card. People I meet saying, I don't have a YouTube channel or anything. Did you, who wrote this? Did Mark write this? <laughs> who read it? <laughs> this, 
the words are fine. <laughs> no, this is like I don't have when the I, context of what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> when I go to a woodworking show, as an example, I might meet someone and they are, they will say to me, "Oh, I, I just do this. I don't ha- I don't have a, a YouTube channel or anything." Oh, okay. As if that being a woodworker funny. means you have to have a YouTube channel, or I'm only going to talk to you if you have a YouTube channel. I mean, it sounds um, like you. <laughs> it's it's just weird when people just assume you should have a YouTube channel and you have to kind of preempt that when talking to someone else. I don't have a YouTube. I don't have an Instagram. It's like, well, that's fine. It's okay. I didn't maybe, think you needed one. <laughs> maybe that's a precursor to the pendulum swinging the other way. Maybe we're going to go back to where we were 10 years ago. People are just wanting to, to share because they have some fun with it. I don't know. Yeah. Check out my blog. Uh, here we go. I want to go to blogspot.com. Um, <laughs> viewers are much more jaded to advertising. That's interesting. I can see that. Um, yeah. Huh. I, well, I don't know whether it's like ad blockers or just we've seen it so much. We don't give people crap about it. I mean, do you remember the days when we had to make big decisions as to whether or not to allow our YouTube videos to have a pre-roll? Yeah. Yep. I mean, good luck finding one that doesn't have a pre-roll now. Yeah. Big, big channels too, like actual, um, corporate type channels with advertising on them. Yeah. And it's like, do you really need the YouTube like pennies? <laughs> Although right. I imagine Fallon makes more than pennies. Um, <laughs> you have a few more bucks than pennies. Yeah. yeah a little bit still. Uh, pennies let's see. Down. Next one here. We've got, um, free tools are easier than ever to get. <laughs> and I don't mean just for me. I Shop mean, there are, thing? There are a lot of people out there who are, I guess, micro and nano influencers who are able to just get free stuff. I mean, and the thing is, this is one of those things, especially when you go to WorkbenchCon and you talk to some of these companies, um, sometimes they get to a point where they are just desperate to get their stuff into the hands of influencers. You know, they want this influencer marketing. So it just has never been easier for someone, anyone to kind of pitch a company at the right time and get some free stuff. Well, here's the thing. Please clarify that it's not really free. Right? Ah, good Usually point. Usually you have to like work something a little bit for, there's some expectation most of the times, and you're giving something in exchange for those free, air quote, yeah. tools. It, there's something being reciprocated there. Is sure. it though? Because so that's what I wonder is like, I mean, sure, maybe you're doing something, but it could just be an Instagram story. I mean, that's that value. may all... That may be all it is, but clearly they valued that enough to give them the tool for only that in return. Yeah. Well, I mean, from a manufacturer perspective, it's really the cheapest form of marketing out there. I mean, they could go to an ad network and spend $15,000 on a run, you know, for a certain number of impressions or (laughs) they can send somebody a tool for basically the cost of postage. Right. It's definitely a better deal on the on the um, manufacturer's perspective. Free tools, sure. really. I mean, it's a write off. Well, so is the marketing they spend, I suppose. But <laughs> it's a lot easier to justify when the, you're not actually pulling dollars out of the marketing budget. You're just pulling product off the assembly line. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. very different. I just think it's sort of like a weird thing that like people who aren't in the space don't quite grasp, or like people getting into it don't really grasp the fact that there is an exchange there. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel I'm a little, I don't know, weird about the whole free tools thing. And I start talking about it like that because there is, it's not really free, even though like to everyone else who sees us getting things for air quote free. Yeah, I paid well, for it with all the, all the, the hours, the thousands of hours I spent building an audience that would garner me the free tool. Yeah. Right. Well, and dollars isn't the only currency that we can trade in. And our currency is different than that. So I I totally agree with you. Well, dollars is what I need to pay my mortgage. So there you go. (laughs) That's the other thing. (laughs) They don't, they don't take a, whatever, a a hat, a t-shirt down there. (laughs) I hear they take Macromona face stickers though. I've been collecting You can offer them, you can offer them semesters at the handhold school. There There we go. That's that's my 401k, my retirement plan. All right, it's uh, it's okay. So free tools are still easier than ever to get, but it's still impossible to get sponsorship from hand tool companies. Ah. They ain't doing nothing. They're like, we ain't doing nothing with you. You'll pay They're for our tight. stuff like everyone else. Our margin yep. is five dollars on this, so we can <laughs> offer you one dollar. Yeah, we can't do that. 
Um, Related to magazines, books went out and now they're slowly coming back. Interesting. I don't know who put that. What's that that mean? Did I put that there? I might've put that there. That wasn't me. Oh yeah. I think I did put that there. It's kind of what I was talking about with Mortis and Tenon magazine where, um, now, well, really, this is Lost Art Press. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, but well, they're redefining things there to some extent. But also, I'm finding more and more people who are not finding what they need on YouTube. Um, or in some instances, they're not actually looking to YouTube because they look to YouTube as like, this is a fun place to go be entertained. If I want to learn something, I need a book. Um, or I need a book that I can have in my shop to look, look over this because I'm just, I'm not... YouTube is not the, it's not structured like a book. You know, there's no index and and there's no table of contents and there's no, well, Mark, you've written a book. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you can can crack open a book. And if you want to learn about finishing, you know, you pick up, what's his name's book? The fine with the Taunton book, the big one. Uh, Flexner. No. Flexner or Jewett? Jewett. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and you can look through the table of contents and go, okay, there's a, you know, chapter on lacquer and you can learn about lacquer and then you can set it down. I think, um, we're kind of, again, that pendulum swinging back the other way where we used to learn our woodworking through books. And then it kind of went away because we had this glut of woodworking information online. Now the white noise has gotten so high and the move towards entertainment from how to is change that. So now when people actually want to learn something, they're going back to the library to find a book. Well, how about that steam bending experience for me? Like I had trouble just kind of parsing all the information I was getting thrown at me and a lot of it just was plain wrong, but all the good, solid, reliable information that I found to be true with my own experiences came from the book that I had. It was just a a good, like well-researched uh, perspective on the whole thing and it made it a lot easier. Okay. I dropped a few off of the list here cause it's getting long. Um, workbenches got fancier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt. Made Especially up. if you put a Andy Vice, uh, Andy Vice, Andy Vice. <laughs> Andy Klein and Vice. Andy Vice. I like that. We should rebrand. Yeah, I'll buy the Andy Vice or two or three or four, you know, <laughs> one for every yeah. side. Sure. Okay. Who, uh, this one will be Matt. Blogs are dead, yet Lumberjacks is still a thing. Do you guys spend time there still? I no. actually, when I wrote that this afternoon, I actually had to go to Lumberjacks to make sure it was still there. It's still there. <laughs> just a double still check. Still looks yeah. exactly the same, just a lot more I ads. I have been over there for a few years now. Yeah, it, you know, the, the Wood Talk online forum is still a thing, and it's I, actually still pretty active. I spent a lot of time there. Haven't been there in a long time. <laughs> but you did spend some if time you, there. If, if I go in the archive, I can find all the things I wrote 10 years ago. Oh, I hadn't thought about right. that. Oh, I should do that. I'd love to see what projects I posted on there. Um, <laughs> and, and then our last point is we have more glue options, which I find interesting. When I started in woodworking, it was wood glue. <laughs> it was the yellow <laughs> stuff. And right. now there's epoxy and there's, of course, there's still PVA, but there's different types of PVA and there's, there's white PVA and there's polyurethane and of course, high glue and fish glue. And yeah, it, it's, it's more complex. It's like finishing used to be yes. <laughs> right. So yeah. maybe gluing is going to get easier in, in the next 10 years, but now there's Which just kind of glue. Am I going to use today? It's a lot more glue to the point where as a nano influencer, I can ask, what's your favorite glue? <laughs> hey, 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 that's mine. You can't have that. All right. Well, you guys know who hasn't changed in the last 10 years? Um, do you? Do you? Well, I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, according reading, according to our new logo, Mark hasn't because he looks as young as he was 10 years ago. And that that's true. Right. That's right. <laughs> hey, that was the artist's interpretation. I have no uh, influence on that whatsoever. That's what they saw in their eyes. Okay. So you know who hasn't changed? Rockler, because they're still awesome. They're still innovating. In particular, they have a great selection of silicone tools. Their silicone line of tools started with a glue brush. And uh, these are a great alternative to the like single-use acid brushes. Can be a big money saver over the long run. And they're better for the environment, too, because you're not making a bunch of waste. And epoxy users rejoice. They now have a (laughs) silicone glue keeper, so you can mix a small batch of epoxy this is for those of you like me who only use epoxy as an adhesive. 
um, <laughs> you might find this useful. Uh, so basically this thing, just like a little rubber cup. And once the epoxy dries, uh, you just kind of flex it a little bit and it pops right out like and you an can throw ice it cube away. tray. Yeah. We saw that at workbench con and I mean, which is funny because it's actually designed for like putting like PVA in because it's got a lid. Yeah, right. We're like, oh, this is great for epoxy. <laughs> You're right, exactly. Well, we asked them, like, will it work for epoxy too? Yep, but it, it has a little lid. So if you pour some regular glue in there, you can keep it nice and fresh and actually uh, use it. I don't know. Sometimes it's easier to dip a brush in than to use the spout on the, the glue bottle. Yeah. So I think that's pretty darn cool. Uh, Rockler also has some silicone mats, um, glue brushes in multiple sizes, and silicone glue bottle accessories. Uh, and rumor has it that it's really fun <laughs> to pull glue off of silicone brushes, like picking a booger or a scab. <laughs> it is actually it's, quite fun. Yeah, and you know what? Speaking of these silicone mats, I got a few of them uh, from Rockler, and uh, mm. they're for the kids' uh, placemats now. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> like in the house? Yeah, I put them on the table. <laughs> no, nothing sticks to them, right? That's nothing. great. And they're easy to clean. They're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And they're big, too. Like, they're like... It's a nice oh, pop the, of small, rockler blue like, in the dining room. The normal great. size ones are, I think they're like maybe 12 by 18 or something like that. They're like the full-size placemat size. So yeah. the, the kids can like yogurt or whatever the heck they're going to do and just wipe them right off. That's great. Can you just throw that in the... Are they like dishwasher safe, you think? I haven't just, tried that yet, but I'm sure they are. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a great idea. Rockler, you should send me some. I have two kids. I didn't know that yogurt was a verb. Two yogurt. The kids yogurted. Yeah. All, all kinds I of think, things become verbs when you have kids. Uh, I was going to say, when you have kids, lots of foods become verbs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know? Uh, so just as a, a heads up, we mentioned the power-up sale that they're having. Well, the three-piece silicone, easy for me to say, glue application kit is on sale for nine ninety nine. So you want to go check that out. Thank you, nice. Rockler, for sponsoring the show. We love you a long time. I did not know that they came out with those thinner glue brushes because that's that's mm -hmm. a game changer to me because I was still using some of those acid brushes just because they're smaller. You know, I've right. got one of those, the original glue brushes, and I, and I do like using it. But like if I've got a, you can't use it on dovetails. Like <laughs> You can't fit that right. thing unless you make really, really big dovetails. So I, I just learned that a couple of days ago and I ordered some. It's awesome. One of the good things that, that I find useful on these is usually the back of those brushes is like a paddle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's perfect for getting into box joints, dovetails, things like that. And they have a whole paddle kit too. So they have different like shapes and sizes in a kit. Oh, really? So you can have different like, seen that one. what are the paddles or spreaders, whatever. So I use those for dovetails because I like to kind of wipe them on the long grain there. Right. Know, real nicey style. Put a little dab on the paddle and wipe it on there. Oh, yeah. Just just a dab on the paddle. It's a dabby. It's All right, let's get to our voicemails and emails. Uh, first one here is from Tyler. So when Mark first spoke up and said the words, we're back, I thought it was a joke until uh, you guys started talking about how you got Rockler somehow suckered them into paying you guys a bunch of money <laughs> to take this show seriously and uh, expect some return on investment. But we'll see what happens. So anyways, I'm looking for some advice on building a front door for my house. I'm not sure what types of cuts of lumber I should get from the lumber yard um, if I need to get, I don't know what it is, like riff cut, whatever, Shannon, you, you know all this stuff. Um, just, uh, would love some advice. I've got access to a lot of good domestic species. Um, not planning on using anything exotic. That'd be expensive and ridiculous. So, um, like I said, advice on that would be greatly appreciated cuts to get things to consider what I should be looking into and, um, yeah, any advice overall. So thanks for uh, what you guys do. Glad to have the show back in my ear holes for another while until Rockler starts dish or stops dishing out all the money to you guys. Um, keep up the good work and thanks for not knitting. All the monies. Thank you for not knitting. Uh, so aside from rift quarter sawn, I mean, that's what I would be seeking out if I was building a door um, at least rift sawn. Yeah, and I would definitely go quartered. Well, yeah, I mean, it, there's such a fine line between rift and quartered. It's like 60 degrees versus 90 degrees. You know? <laughs> right. Somewhere in that range. You know, it's just, on its way know, to being quartered. You know, straight grainish. And then, uh, of course, some sort of outdoor, you know, known to be rot resistant or outdoor friendly species. I mean, outside of those two things and buying boards that are just kind of starting off fairly straight to begin with. So you're not uh, dealing with something later down the line. It's going to want a cup or, or bow or twist on you the outside of that. Is, is there anything? Tough. Yeah. I'm sorry. I talked over you, Matt. What'd you say? I said the life of a door is tough. Cause like one side's like inside and the other side's outside. Mm -hmm. yeah, two different conditions. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
if you're going to build it solid, I mean, most of the door manufacturers now are laminating up a core, you know, they're, they're using some, you know, cheaper wood on the inside, but they're, they're ripping out narrow quartered staves and gluing them together and then skinning, um, both the edge and the faces with like half inch thick, uh, whatever it is. So a lot of times you'll find like a different species on the inside and a different species on the outside. Um, that's the most stable out there creating that, that engineered core on the inside. If you're going to build it out of solid though, you don't want eight quarter. You got to buy nine quarter. If you can find nine quarter, if not, you're going to end up with 10 or God, I hope not 12 quarter um, because <laughs> that exterior door is about two inches nominal. Um, when you look at most exterior doors, they're not one and three quarters. Um, they are thicker than that. So we actually carry uh, the whole reason we carry nine quarter stock is for the door manufacturers, for the exterior door manufacturers, because it's actually a thicker door. So don't well, go buy go eight buy quarter. The, all those extra slabs are going to be around. Just buy those and there's your nine quarter. Yeah. yeah. That's when I'll build a door when slabs start becoming cheap. <laughs> yeah. Grab those pith cuts and go to go to town, get your quarter sawn. Well, oh, but that, that's actually a good point as well, because if he goes to the lumber yard, again, depending on what species he goes with, he's probably not going to find a bin of rift or quartered material. Like if he's yeah. building it out of cherry, which probably not a good idea for an exterior door, you're not going to go find a bin of quarter sawn cherry. You're going to find a bin of quarter sawn white oak or quarter sawn red oak maybe, but you're going to have to cut out your own rift and quarter pieces from a wider board. So you're going to be looking for nine quarter stock. If, if the, if the lumber yard carries nine quarter stock, they're probably catering to the door company anyway. So they probably have already ripped it into, you know, six to eight inch wide pieces that are in that, um, um, cut that grain uh, orientation. Otherwise you're going to have to buy wider stock, rip out the center cathedral pattern and use the rift and quarter that flanks that, that cathedral pattern. You're just not going to find rift, you know, material out there. So it's going to be wasteful. But when we're talking about like a front door, probably worth it. <laughs> you know, so you yeah. don't have any problems later on down the line. Well, you can make some cutting boards afterwards Ooh, or something. So well, insert small project from scrap here. Guitar. Guitar, there you go. <laughs> it's my new favorite thing. Anytime I see a guitar, I go, man, that wood would have made a beautiful box. <laughs> Just to get back of everybody. Oh, I, I appreciate that <laughs> uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit. <laughs> uh. Actually, you know what? Actually, uh, as a side note, the guitar thing seems to be going away. Now it's gun stocks. Just oh, yeah, so everybody, so everybody knows. <laughs> that, that, that's, where, that's where my comments are going now. Yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> You guys ready for next one? Mm-hmm. You didn't uh, have to ask, but that's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to build up some <laughs> excitement and, you know, uh, bring the energy. Okay. Whatever. Whatever, you guys. I'm just going to read the question. <laughs> Whatever, you guys. As you as monotone as possible, as bored as possible. I'm just mm. here reading the question. This one here is from Brody. Does the future of furniture design? We all see the trends. Arts and crafts, shaker, mid-century modern, Danish dribble tables, etc. Well, hold, all- hold up. What's a dribble table? <laughs> when you use a Rockler silicone mat as a placemat. <laughs> yeah. <It's> a dribble <laughs> table is at Matt's house. When the kids I'm pretty sure that's exactly uh, what my, <laughs> my kitchen table is. <laughs> With all the new tools that are now more accessible to the weekend woodworker, CNC, laser, vacuum press, carvers, do you think the designs will be, will become more innovative or just e- easier to accomplish or or easier to accomplish the same old thing. What would drive innovation? Mixed media, altered state of consciousness. Mm. Hardcore drugs. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> I don't have an answer for this at all. I don't I, know much about like history uh, to kind of say, okay, well, here's where things might be going. I have an I idea. You're gonna see like a whole is like just normal modern a thing even though it encompasses like a lot of stuff just yeah you know, normal <laughs> you know, modern not, not mid century late century or something modern. i don't know <laughs> i feel well, like of the mixed media stuff like concrete and i guess mid century influences and like influences from like everything mixed together which we're seeing like a lot online now where you have like this clearly not any of these things yeah these categories here but they're their own kind of thing which you can see elements from all these different things in maybe well I don't know. if, I feel like if history repeats itself um 
And actually, I'll go back 10 years ago, 2009, the Woodworking in America Design Conference, which was probably the most poorly attended Woodworking in America Conference. But to me, it was the best one ever because it was just pure design. And there was a talk about 20th century furniture and this what what Brody is talking about here about now all these tools are accessible, making more things possible for the average woodworker. What you find is these little sub styles that spring up that get like forgotten in the annals of history as being let's never speak of that again. Um, there was a, ser- uh, a segment, uh, a style of furniture called router furniture that existed in the early 20th century. And it was suddenly routers made so many cool things possible that weren't possible before. So there were all these like, you know, heart shaped designs and patterns and all these like low relief carve type things done with a handheld router that were just mm-hmm. God awful, just terrible, <laughs> terrible, ugly pieces of things. The Victorian period in general comprised of like seven different furniture styles all crammed together in one piece. You know, they, they borrowed from all these different stuff and it was just so incredibly ornate and busy. And now of course, Victorian furniture has got a little bit of a resurgence, but then there was Victorian reproduction furniture in the 1940s. That was the same thing. Now suddenly things were cheaper to make and more accessible. So let's make more, let's add more elements. And it just, it just gets awful. So We're starting to see a little bit of this where now we can use mixed media and we can use our laser cutter and we can use our our CNC carving machine. And it's combining all these things together. And we're forgetting that one of the principal um, components of design is editing. (laughs) There's just a lot of everything all at once. Self-restraint. You see the same thing with wood species. You know, now we have access to so many species across the globe. I'm going to use six of them in this bench, you know, so we're going to have a little bobinga thrown in here, some spalted tamarind over here with an African blackwood foot and a satinwood cuff. And you're like, good Lord, it's sensory overload. Sounds fine to me. Yeah. Well, you have no sense of design, so that's fine. That's right. Um, I put, I put maple and walnut together. (laughs) Yeah, there, there it is. So I, I, I do think that we're going to, we're going to see this like, I don't know, fusion of a bunch of different styles. Um, because it's possible. And, and then that's going to tone down into, we'll probably just end up back into shaker. <laughs> just going to go back to everything shaker. returns the shaker eventually. Yeah. <laughs> dribble tables. I think actually dribble tables might be a derivation of the uh, river table. It's just a really, really small river when it gets really hot. Yeah. And the epoxy starts to run. It's a dribble table. What about painted furniture? Yeah, it seems to be a lot more popular than it was. It's not a bad word anymore. That's changed in 10 years. Painting yeah, wood was yeah. just like, you know, ex- grounds for execution. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, let's see. The next uh, email here is from Christian. He says, do you think traveling from California to go to Handworks is worth it? Really? Is that it? Okay. That's it. Um, Quick and easy. Have either of you guys been to Handworks? Have not. I haven't either. Um it's, it's never worked so out for me. We're qualified it's, it's, to answer this. Yeah, right. I've heard <laughs> yeah, from a lot so of he, people who absolutely wrote love to the it. right show. They say it's fantastic. And from what I understand, it's what woodworking in America used to be like in the heyday of the marketplace of woodworking in America. That's what handworks has now become. Handworks is woodworking in America without that, you know, distracting classes. I understand it's very crowded though so if, if yeah. you're the pictures uh, always look like a bunch of goats in a <laughs> only only the goats are people if, if you don't like being really close to a bunch of people you don't know and hot hot and humid and i'm really sweaty people you don't know yeah, yeah. And it smells like hay you're packed into a barn but um, i mean know? if if you are into hand tools and you're like in an acquisition mode of hand tools i would say it's worth it because it's the place to go and lay hands on every single fine hand tool made get a chance to use it get a chance to talk to the people who made it get a chance to talk to seven people who own it you know i mean that was what made woodworking in america so wonderful it was the place to go and try all that stuff so yeah i mean Supposedly it's a, it's a lot of fun. I think lodging is a little difficult. So if you like camping, it could be good. <laughs> cool. All right. We've got a voicemail here. I uh, don't have the person's name cause I didn't write it down. Hey guys, welcome back. So I'm building a tabletop out of Sapili eight quarter around six foot long. Um, question on 
the long-term ability for the structure of this tabletop uh, to maintain its integrity if I choose not to use joinery, if I just glue up the six-foot boards. Uh, is, you know, am I looking for any trouble there down the road, uh, or do you think this would be fine? Uh, second part of that question is that I have seen these metal plates uh, be put into the bottom of tabletops such as this. Uh, is that anything to look at? Uh, what should I think about if I choose to go that method? Appreciate it. Welcome back. Go Rockler. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> uh, so yeah, for the first part of that question, I guess, um, you know, you got a long green glue surface there. I'm assuming we were talking about panel glue up. Throw your glue on there and have a good day. That's what uh, all joinery seeks to achieve is to get some long ring glue surface to touch some other long ring glue surface. And you got a lot of it there. Oh, so yeah. unless you have a bunch of wonky boards and you need some alignment aids to make your seams kind of less and flush, you really don't need anything in there. Um, I rarely ever use anything besides just glue for a panel. Cool. Like uh, for the, the steel embedding in the underside thing, if you feel your panel is going to be unstable for some reason, normally you see that with larger slabs, which may have a greater tendency to cup um, over time through the seasons or something. If you're doing a panel glue for a tabletop, probably not all necessary. The other thing a lot of people consider when they're doing that steel uh, embedding in there is their bases aren't really like designed to fully support that tabletop. So if you're doing like we talked about in the uh, what show was that last show with the table build thing, where we're talking oh, about yeah, the yeah. Uh, the apron, mm -hmm. the apron on a standard table is there on supporting the width of the tabletop, so it actually helps to support that tabletop, keep it flat. Um, as a, basically it adds some beam strength to it. If you're doing some kind of like crazy metal base where the top is unsupported for a lot of its span, then a little bit of embedded steel could be helpful to support it and keep it from moving, but. It depends really on the base you're actually attaching it to because it's all about keeping that thing flat. Mm. And I think we talked about that, the embedding thing in the past, and it's still my firm belief that it's, it's less to do with the steel being there and the fact that you cut a giant gouge <laughs> on the bottom, weakening the, the actual structural integrity of the wood. The tabletop no longer has a will to live. <laughs> <laughs> so it just sits there. It can't flex anymore. You cut all the fibers. <laughs> you, have, you have effectively emasculated the table. It yeah. just, it's given up. <laughs> what is my purpose in life anymore? I'll just lay here and be flat. Yeah, that's, that's a great. I'll just like lay that. here and be flat. I'll just lay here. <laughs> Don't worry about me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. This next one's from Gordon. He says, uh, with adding Andy, the Andy vice, with um, adding Andy Klein's twin <laughs> turbo to the end of a split top Rubo workbench, do you think there needs to be a single full width inner jaw added? Why or why not? And if yes, how would you attach it? The ends and center tray are quite straight and coplanar now, but I anticipate letting my true OCD loose to refine it as best as possible. So, hmm. I feel like I would want an inner jaw. Like, what's the point of having like that full width like outer vice chop if there's going to be that gap in the middle? I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't, really I don't know that it'd be a problem. I mean, I'll, I mean, if you look at Andy's, he's got the split top thing going on with the hole, right? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't think it would be a problem, but I just think you're, you're sacrificing clamping space. I mean, I naturally would want to drop whatever I'm clamping in the middle of the vice. And if now there's a gap there, it's, that's the one well, spot. It's only if it's like a, a narrow piece, like most things yeah. are probably going to span the gap. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that I don't, one, I don't think there's a problem a with that. I just, I don't know. I just feel like, especially if it's the Andy vice, I mean, that thing's so, <laughs> so fancy. I feel like I would want full support because fancy Andy vice and he gives you enough uh, leather or whatever that cork stuff. What's that stuff called? Crubber or whatever well, it is. No, 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 no. It's rubberized cork. Do not use the word crubber. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is a stupid word. <laughs> Stupid, stupid word. Uh, and in this edition of What Grinds My Gears. <laughs> Obviously, I have strong feelings about this. <laughs> but he gives you enough that you can line, you know, both both faces. I I don't know. I just feel like it, if he's already admitted to being OCD and it's going to refine it as much as possible, I say roll with that. You know, let it loose <laughs> and and put it in there. And as far as how you would attach it, um, screws. 
mean, I, I attached the end cap on my vice with the tenon and uh, a captive nut. So um, bolt and a captive nut, um, mainly because I have an invice that's actually pushing out on that every time you clamp it. Um, you don't really need that captive nut because there's no, the invice is not pulling the end cap off. So you could just create, you know, a tenon and sock that thing on there and you'd be good to go. Cool. All right. Remember that if you want to send us a question, you could do that using the contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash questions. Uh, and if you have a voicemail or you can even send an email uh, to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. And of course, we we usually look at the Patreon stuff first. And rumor has it that if you send us money, you have a better shot of getting your question <laughs> on the show. Some people believe that those people would be correct. Um, so... We we're actually at the point guys where we're starting to get where we were before and we're just getting, I go to the inbox now. I'm like, Oh my gosh, where did all these questions come from? You guys are sending us a ton of questions, which we love and appreciate. Uh, the good thing is we can kind of pick and choose the ones we think we can give the best answer to. Um, but again, I will say that on the, on the Patreon, uh, thing, when we ask for questions, we actually use those to populate the questions first. So just keep that in mind. Just letting you know. Nice. Is that okay? I think it's okay. Yeah. So, all right. That just about does it for us. Uh, remember that we sold out to Rockler, and <laughs> Rockler is a family-owned business since 1954. They are your go-to source for high-quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. Very nice. Thank you, Rockler. So Mark just said it, but if you have questions, go to woodtalkshow.com and there's a contact form there that you can send them into, or you can create a voice memo and email it to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. But mostly go find us on Instagram. We're woodtalkshow over there or um, Matt Cremona, Wood Whisperer or Renaissance Woodworker. All three of those, all four of those accounts, you'll find us and our goings on, which brings me to my next point. It's been... 10 years of woodworking. So this week, your social media homework, post a picture of the early, post the earliest picture you have of your workshop. If it's longer than 10 years ago, don't send that. Send it only 10 years ago. We want to see <laughs> what your workshop looked like 10 years ago or as early as you can find. And use the hashtag WoodTalk463. We love, That's awesome. We I love, can't wait to see that stuff. Absolutely. Is I that, love this. Is that the current shop or like if you had an older shop from 10 years ago? No, whatever your shop situation was about 10 years ago. Oh, boy. Yeah. Or this your be, earliest, whatever. Just something early. Let's see what your shop looked like before. You guys remember the red walls? <laughs> oh, I do remember the red walls. The, <laughs> the, the red bordella walls. shop. <laughs> Good stuff. I do remember that. I've got the picture uh, already picked out on my head. I, I don't know perfect. about you guys, but I love this social media thing. Like the tabletops. Oh, awesome. It was so cool to see. So everybody oh, it's who's, been great. Everybody who's participating, thank you so much. It's so cool to be able to go in and, you know, if you put, you know, hashtag wood talk 461 or 462, I mean, there's hundreds of, of responses in there. It's just really cool. Great place to yep. look at tables and yeah, it's awesome. It is cool. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. See ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.